Deacon's time, so uh, if you're here, congratulations, you passed the test. Um, we might have a few people joining us in an hour. Be polite, that might be you next year, so um, that's okay. A few announcements, and, and then I'll pray, and, and we'll carry on. In your bulletin, uh, most of them, uh, some backpack needs. Uh, we need a cook for March 25th for the, the Praise Cafe, uh, so it's kind of your, your last chance to, to highlight some of your skills there. And um, also, there was one other announcement uh, that did not make it in the bulletin, um, because we just found out about it, but the the MCC sale is doing a soup supper. And so they have called up our church, and they're looking looking for help with a couple of things. Uh, They're looking for 10 pies, 10 breads, and 8 jellies. So if you have some, like, pre-established skills uh, in those three categories... Uh, that would be great. Call up Lisa in the office. She'll get you more details. I think she needs it by next Friday at 9 a.m. So let's do a word of prayer and we'll continue on. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another good day. Thank you for uh, your love, your mercy, uh, your provision. And um, yeah, we invite your presence here to lead us and guide us. We love you, Jesus. Amen. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along the riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. And this uh, question as we were preparing for worship this morning is, where do I really place my hope? Is it in in Jesus, like scripture says that it should be? Is he really my hope? Or is it in all the things that he has blessed me with? He is a giver of so many things. Um, He's given comfort, security, joy, all those things. But where really is my hope? Um, When I place it in his presence and in himself, that's where really my hope and joy come from. And that's what I want it to be. And I pray that for you guys too, that he is our hope. Please stand with us. We want to just invite his presence to be here. Spirit of God, just come down. We can experience your joy, experience you. You are our hope and joy and peace and rest. Let's worship him.
surely you know, surely you have heard. The Lord is the God who lives forever, who created all the world. He does not become tired or need to rest. No one un understands how great his wisdom is. He gives strength to those who are tired, more power to those who are weak. Even children become tired and need to rest. And young people trip and fall. But the people who trust the Lord will become strong again. They will rise up as eagles in the sky. They will run and not need rest. They will walk and not become tired. Thank you, God, that you are our hope and joy and rest. And we give you praise. Amen. You may be seated. few things to pray about as we enter a prayer time, have a little bit of silence of, of prayer. Uh, you're, you're certainly welcome to pray about whatever you want, but a few things for your consideration. Um, uh, the missionaries, Kenton and Kedron Miller, have asked prayer for, uh, for their kids, Myra and Mateo, as they continue to grow. Um, also, the Queerings. I, I got a text from Nicole this morning. They're having some missional community meeting this week, uh, and they may have up to 21 kids in their house. Uh, which, so they need some prayer um, on just how do you have a leadership meeting while at the same time, um, you know, just doing child care for, for 21 kids. So, um, incidentally, if you just ever want to bless missionaries or Jason and Nicole, just show up and say, I am here as your 24-7 on-call child care provider uh, person, and they will love you forever. Uh, so something to pray about there. Um, some of you may uh, know a young gal by the name of Virginia, uh, who's been joining us uh, on occasion. Um, they've asked for prayer. She's gone into labor uh, this morning, but it's still a bit early. And so they've asked for prayer for that. And also um, for Paul Buller and, and his family. They're headed to a, a funeral tomorrow. Uh, his aunt um, uh, Lois Paul's passed away. And so funeral tomorrow in Bueller, Kansas at 10 a.m. So I'm not sure if any of you knew her. So let's have a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning we pray for Virginia and for her family and that uh, all would go well as you intend it to be and for safety uh, for her and for the baby Jesus. Uh, we pray for uh, Kenton and Kedron Miller as they raise their children um, in a land that they did not grow up in and that uh, for Myra and Mateo, they will grow up to be people who love Jesus and uh, love others and um, serve you with great delight and joy and for Jason and Nicole as they continue to to grow their missional communities um, 
Lord, they need some very practical resources in the way of child care. And um, yeah, we ask that that would be provided. And maybe we are the answer to that in some capacity. And if so, I ask that you would be um, stirring in, in the hearts of, of people who here, who you may be calling to, uh, to intervene. Maybe someone needs to fly out there for a few days. Um, but yeah, we just ask that you would work in that situation, Lord. And, and we just want to say that we are available to, uh, to do as you would. And for Paul and for his family, uh, as they mourn the loss of a loved one, Jesus, that, um, that you would comfort them, that your presence would be very uh, palpable and uh, near to them. Lord, this morning as we talk about Sabbath, uh, I pray that your truth would be conveyed and that uh, where there needs to be conviction, there would be conviction. Where there needs to be rest, there would be rest. Uh, if there needs to be correction, there would be correction. Worship, pray that there would be worship that we would understand this wonderful thing that you have given to us and commanded of us, and that we would uh, do it unto you. We love you, Lord. Amen. Ushers, please. This is my
Thank you, worship team. That was awesome. So uh, today we're talking about Sabbath. Uh, and I should probably just come clean right away and say that it, it's kind of with a bit of irony and perhaps maybe even too much hypocrisy uh, that I talk to you about this today. Uh, it's ironic because, one, we just had daylight savings time, so everyone's short an hour of sleep. Um, incidentally, there's usually coffee in the kitchen beforehand, so just saying. Um, and also, just this is not something I'm good at. And Joanne has been on me the, for months that I need to Sabbath better, so... Um, like in two weeks, you know, you can ask me on how I'm doing with that. That's fine. And, uh, hopefully it'll be better. Um, but I also am pretty certain that some of you aren't very good at it either. So put on your big boy pants because we're going to talk about it. Um, we recently concluded a sermon series looking at the, the seven feasts and, um, as outlined in the Old Testament, and we look at how they foretell the seven major events of, of Christ and his redemptive career. Uh, and we often reference back to Leviticus 23. And I actually want to, to come kind of full circle on that, because in Leviticus 23, the very first thing that, that happens or that mentions is Sabbath. And we skipped it at first, and so now we're, we're kind of coming back to coming back around to it. So Sabbath, seventh day, day of rest. In all of Scripture, Sabbath is the first holy day that actually gets mentioned, and that's because it is already found in the creation account. Um, so God creates everything, and, uh, and on the seventh day he rested. Uh, Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested... On the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now hopefully you, you know this, but, but God was not actually tired uh, day seven. Uh, I mean, one, he is God. Um, but, I mean, also, just, I mean, he spoke, you know. It's like, I'm going to say something. And then wait a day. And then I'm going to say something. I mean, that's... That, that doesn't tire anyone out. So, uh, he, he, I mean, he designed it. I guess that would take some thought. But, but from the beginning, God is telling us, even in the creation account, he is telling us how we are to live. He is telling us who he is. He is telling us what we find in Jesus. Uh, and he's telling us what heaven will be like. Uh, in the rest of the Old Testament, there's two major passages uh, in Scripture that talk about the Sabbath. And really those two locations are we have the record of the Ten Commandments. So the first one occurs in Exodus 20, uh, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or the female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is in with, within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The second uh, uh, occurrence is in Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 to 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant, 
your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus goes on. He talks about the Sabbath, and he's going to say things like, He is the Lord of the Sabbath, and, and Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And, and in some of the other writings, we'll see that it's actually not entirely critical that Sabbath uh, happen on the, the seventh day. But, but today, really, I just want to focus in on the Sabbath as it's expressed in the Ten Commandments and some of what we, we can pull out of that. And so there's going to be four main points that we're going to cover today, all right? Sabbath is rest from work. Sabbath is a time to remember the works of God. Sabbath is also a proclamation of faith in the provision of God. And also Sabbath is a time to practice heaven. Um, little background on the situation. Uh, understanding the situation in which, these, in which this is given and kind of the context is very helpful. When the Ten Commandments were given... Okay, you, you need to remember that the nation of Israel, okay, so it happened at Mount Sinai, but they had recently come out of Egypt. Uh, they had been in slavery for 400 years. Uh, they had this very dramatic exit from Egypt. Uh, they enter into the desert. Um, very early on in the desert time, they enter into this covenant relationship with God. This happens at Mount Sinai. God gives them some rules and some guidelines on how things are going to work. They then spend the next 40 years or the span of one generation, wandering around the desert, and then they finally enter into the promised land. Very rough overview. I mean, like the, the story in, in all its details, full of wars and intrigue and spies and drama. And I mean, it actually make a really good sci-fi novel if, if you look at it. But um, one thing to remember, though, is that the entire story of Exodus, the whole slavery, desert, promised land, is an amazing uh, overlay or, or parallel to our salvation story and what Jesus has done. Uh, Israelites were in slavery. They're in bondage. They're held against their will. A man enters the scene. He demands their release. There's the death of a firstborn. They exit bondage. They immediately pass through the Red Sea. In 1 Corinthians 10, it says that they were baptized into Moses into, in the sea. So they experience baptism. They then go through the desert for the span of one generation, which is a difficult, trying time, but God provides for them. And then they enter into the promised land. We were in the bondage of sin, held captive, unable to secure our own freedom. A man enters the scene, demands our release. There is the death of a firstborn. We're baptized in the Holy Spirit. We wander this earth for the span of one generation. It is difficult, but God provides for us. And eventually we enter into heaven. Amazing kind of overlay and, and parallel. The whole salvation story is played out immediately in the story of Israel. And the first four feasts that we just talked about uh, outlined all that for us. So for the Israelites, they've just come out of slavery. And in the Ten Commandments, in the very first set of rules and guidelines... God tells them that every seventh day they were to stop working. Do no work for the entire day. Don't do any work. Not even a little bit of work. No work. And there's all kinds of fat, like they weren't allowed to light fires and all kinds of stuff. No work. 
The Hebrew word for Sabbath is Shabbat, and it means to cease, to stop, uh, to desist, to stop doing. They were to stop their work and rest. Folks, these people were slaves, and they had been slaves for 400 years, which is much longer than the U.S. has been a country. Um, and, and as a slave, work is survival. You don't work, you don't eat. You don't work, you probably get a beating. If you're really bad at it, maybe they even kill you. I don't know. It's slavery. Work is what you do. Work is survival. For 400 years, no one had ever told them, don't work. Just take the day off. Maybe get a massage afterwards. You know, just relax. Uh, work was life. Um, for 400 years, work, work, work. Go, go, go. Ironically, our culture today, we also live in a nonstop work environment, uh, but we've willingly placed ourselves underneath it. Uh, electricity changed everything for us. I don't know if you realize it, but it's just because now we can work in the dark. Before electricity, the sun goes down. All right, guess I'm done. I'll go to bed. Now, no. 24 7. Uh, you can do emails, you can do finances, you can get banking services, you can buy building supplies, you can get a burrito. Uh, 24-7. At 3 a.m., you can do your taxes, remodel a basement, and eat Mexican food. Just like if that's your thing. Um, Farm machinery, covered in lights, light, I mean, shops lit up like the noonday sun. We, we haven't needed the sun for decades. Um... We just we can work whenever we want. There's a lot of stats out there on work and how much Americans work, and it, it's kind of a, a difficult thing to nail down in, in great detail. I mean, how do you measure that? Uh, but let me share a little bit of what I found. This is kind of interesting. Uh, according to Gallup, Gallup polls in 2013-2014, the 40-hour work week was actually 47 hours long on average. Um, those who work full-time, who are over 18... Uh, those of them who actually come in less than 40 hours are 8%. Those who actually work 40 hours are 42%. Those who work 41 to 49 hours in a week are 11%. Those who work 50 to 59 hours in a week are 21%. And those who work 60 plus hours are 18%. Salaried workers, on average, it's even more so. Um, 25% say that they will put in at least 60 hours per week. According to Center for American Progress on the top of, of work and family life, in 1960, 20% of mothers worked. Today, 70% of American children live in households where all adults are employed. Uh, in the U.S., 85.8% of males, 66.5% of females work more than 40 hours per week. According to the International Labor Organization, Americans work 137 more hours per year than Japanese workers, 260 more hours per year than British, and 499 more hours than the French. Uh, using data by the U.S. Um, uh, BLS, I think Board and Labor Services, um, productivity per American worker has increased 400% since 1950. Uh, another report from the UN International Labor Organization, uh, I think just within the last year, said that the average Australian, Canadian, and Japanese worked about 100 hours or 2.5 weeks less than the average American per year. Uh, 
Uh, Brazilians, British, worked about 250 hours or five weeks less, uh, while Germans worked roughly 500 hours or 12.5 weeks less. Um, and incidentally, I think a large part of that is actually influenced by vacation time. Uh, there are countries where four weeks paid vacation is the norm, and then it just grows from there. Um, in the U.S., Americans get two to three weeks, and most people rarely use it. Uh, when measured as value added per hour worked, Norway was the highest, followed by the U.S. and then France. So again, the U.S. worker is one of the highest producing workers in the world. Uh, in 2006, this is a little bit older, um, uh, the U.S. still led the world in productivity per person. Um, however, there have been some huge uh, increases in Southeast Asia, um, working a lot more hours than the Americans. Um, the French used to work far more hours per year than the Americans, and then they got on this huge vacation thing, and now their hours per year have, has plummeted. Uh, Germany as well. And those are just the sort of your like average full-time workers. Uh, Fortune magazine followed around some top executives and recorded what their schedule was like. Uh, Bill Gates, for the first six years of his company, took six days off, like total for the six years, so a day a year. Uh, Marissa Meyer, she's a VP at Google. She gets about seven to 800 emails a day, every day. And on Saturday and Sundays, she'll spend about 14 hours straight on each day just catching up on her email. Uh, she said that she's learned to live on four to six hours of sleep a night. Uh, Amy Sh Schulman, a partner at DLA Piper, has two assistants, one from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. and one from 4 p.m. to midnight because apparently she works 17 hours a day. And she has two cell phone carriers just in case one has bad coverage. Wow. Um, Jane Friedman, CEO of HarperCollins, is classified as an email addict because she personally responds to every single email that anyone sends her. Uh, send her an email. Tell her to chill out. Take a vacation. Uh, she'll write you back, apparently. Brent Yorkman, CEO of the New York Knicks, wakes up at 3.30 every weekday. He's in the office by 4. Uh, on the weekdays, he sleeps in. He's in the office by 7. Uh, and he often works till midnight. Uh, Americans take less vacation, work longer days, and are retiring later as well. Um, they, did, uh, they did some number crunching for living in Seattle, uh, so it is kind of a different scenario than here. But, you know, the popular thinking was that both parents needed to work to, to get enough income. I forget the number exactly. I think it was in the realm of $70,000, uh, and that the second parent would need to make at least $70,000 for that to financially uh, make sense. By the time you figure in childcare, uh, vehicle, gas, uh, business wardrobe, um, all that kind of stuff, uh, different tax brackets, um, it was at least 70,000. Uh, and interestingly, the increased involvement in the workplace has also resulted in increased workload at home. Many of the part-time jobs are being filled by uh, women and many of those have previously been housewives. Well, when one person is home full-time, they're able to take care of house stuff, home stuff, full-time. But with the second spouse also working outside of the home, what happens then, of course, is that chores around the house don't get done as much. So the result is that when both parties get home, there's more to do at home. So the increased workload outside the home is, in is resulting in increased workload inside the home. Uh, when I was in South Texas with the SOAR program, the family I stayed with, 
Uh, they had an entire shelf in their fridge dedicated to leftover like ketchup and sauce packets from drive through restaurants. Um, their kitchen table, their dining room table was covered with stuff, not food related at all. It never got used. Um, and I, I mean, why not? I mean, you, you just go to buy the store and, and buy fresh fruits and vegetables and then come home and try to make supper when both parties are coming home at 5 o'clock when they had these, these uh, they, uh, they called them like Little Caesars Hot and Ready, and they just had a whole stack of large pepperoni pizzas ready to go. I think they had two or three different kinds, and it was cheap, dirt cheap. So you just drive through, you get a large pepperoni pizza and a two-liter pop for, it was less than 10 bucks. I almost want to say it was like five to seven bucks. I mean, why not just do that? Quick, easy, fairly cheap. On national average, uh, international average, Americans are not lazy. We work hard. We produce a lot. We like status. We like money. We like to be number one. Um, even in secular society, Sabbath was something that was honored until I think about the 1960s or 70s. I'm going on other people's accounts. I wasn't alive then. Sorry. Um, but apparently, uh, prior to that, there were laws about not working on Sunday. And, and since those, the, uh, the laws have been taken off the books. Um, and I'm not advocating that we go back to those days, but, but it is important to realize that it's hard to take a Sabbath when everyone else is busy and everyone else is, is working. Um, folks, th- there, there's nothing magical about like the 40-hour work week. That's just kind of a grid by which we compare ourselves. Uh, many of you have seasons, I know, where you work far more than 40 hours a week. Uh, I have seasons where I work far more than 40 hours a week. Uh, And, and I mean, we value work. We value hard work. Uh, As Americans, as Christians, as Midwesterners, we we value hard work. And there's nothing wrong with hard work. Um, Some people need to work more. Um, but, But we are driving ourselves deeper and deeper into this mentality of work, 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 go, go, go. And we now wear our busyness like a badge of honor. Um, And I do that too. Uh, You know, if I'm swamped with work in some sick way, that feels good to me. And if I just have, you know, kind of a little bit of that drowning sensation, that's, you know, a little bit of overwhelmed, it's, I don't know why. It just feels good or it's a source of pride. And it's probably a head sickness that I need to meet with someone about. Um... But so this week, right? I was out of the house every night of the week. For much of the week, I only saw my kids at lunch and supper time. And right after this, I, live for, I leave for four or five days where I won't see my kids all week long. Well, how sick is that? Anyone else want to relate to me on that? Don't show hands, but, you know, just in your head, you know. The Israelites were coming out of an environment where they were forced to work and they had to work nonstop. We are an environment where we have chosen to work hard and to work nonstop. And God's command to them and God's command to us is that once a week, you have to stop and you have to rest. Uh, It doesn't have to be the seventh day. New Testament tells us that. Some professions work on Sundays, mine included, right? Um, But at least once a week for a full day, you need to not do any work. In fact, God even programmed the seven-day cycle into our biology. Now, let me read this to you. This is fascinating. A number of scientists have embraced an entirely new field of study known as chronobiology that examines repeating phenomenon in living organisms. These cycles are known as biological rhythms, 
um, Franz Hallberg, University of Minnesota, um, insists that we don't just experience circadian rhythms of roughly 24 hours, but we also operate under um, circus septin or weekly rhythms as well. And he noticed this when patients with pneumonia either recovered or died in seven days. Uh, Seven-day cycle research has uncovered many conditions about humans that seem to rise and fall in seven-day cycles. They include heartbeat, blood pressure, body temperature, hormone level, acid content in the blood, red blood cell count, oral temperature, urine chemistry and volume, the ratio between two uh, neurotransmitters, uh, noroepinephrine and epinephrine, the flow of several body chemicals such as the stress coping hormone cortisol, uh, even the common cold is a weekly rhythm. Doctors have long observed that the response to malaria infection and pneumonia crisis peaks at seven days. Chickenpox symptoms usually appear almost exactly two weeks after exposure to the illness. And after surgery, a person will tend to have an increase in swelling on the seventh day and then the 14th day. Organ transplants face similar crisis in the body's immune system. Uh, for instance, kidney transplant, there's rhythm about seven days. There's a predictable rise and fall in the probability of the immune system. Uh, a major peak of rejection occurs day seven after the operation. At that time, they give them a serum to re suppress the immune reaction. Then there's a series of peaks that occurs with increasing risk of rejection at one week, two weeks, three weeks, and four weeks. In scripture, babies were uh, instructed to be circumcised eight days or one week after the day of birth. Um, and that's when um, prothrombin is at its maximum. And that's what causes blood to clot. And it's never so high again. Chemically, biologically, God built your body to operate on a seven-day cycle. Sabbath, Shabbat, stop, cease, desist, stop working and rest. God demands it. Your body needs it. Your family needs it. Sabbath is a time to rest from work. Sabbath is also a time to remember the works of God. Uh, Deuteronomy uh, highlights this in Deuteronomy 5.15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arms. Now, for the Israelites, this was very literal. They had been in slavery, in bondage, by a miracle, God accomplishes something that they were incapable of doing. God frees them from the bondage of slavery. For us, it's more figurative, but still true. Um, before Christ, you're in bondage to sin. God performs a miracle, accomplishes something that you were incapable of doing. He frees you from that. And now you have restored relationship through Jesus Christ. So Sabbath is a time to remember that journey of salvation, to remember the before and the after. It's also a good time just to remember what God has done in your life since then. Think back on your week. How has God been working, moving? Uh, we miss a lot of it. And sometimes you just have to sit down for a little bit and go, let me just replay the week. And you, you start to see stuff. You know, you know what? I, I think God was involved in that. So Sabbath is a time to remember the works of God. Sabbath is also a proclamation of faith. In the provision of God. Uh, so it's rest from work. It's remembering what God has done. It's a proclamation of faith. When the Israelites were to leave Egypt, they, they were in the desert. Um, there was no food. Uh, they probably had one to two million people. 
Uh, and many of you are aware uh, of the story of manna. Uh, Exodus 16, uh, verses 15 to 18. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? Uh, for they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather it, each of you, as much as you can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. So they were to gather one day's provision. No more, one day's provision. And, and the, now, the, the, the notion was so counterintuitive uh, to the Israelites, um, especially when you consider their situation, right? They were slaves. They're not used to having extra. Suddenly, food is just everywhere, all over the ground. And so um, they did what every good Mennonite would do. They gathered a lot of it, and they pickled it, and they canned it, and they froze it. And, you know, the dude selling mason jars is making big bucks, and, like, they just went crazy with it. Exodus 16, verses 19 to 20, the, the next two verses in the story. Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And stank, what a fun word, stank. Um, and Moses was angry with them. The Lord would not allow them to collect it for more than one day, uh, only one day at a time. However, the rules changed on day six, okay? We're just, we're marching through Exodus 16 here. Um, Exodus 16, now we're in verses 22 to 26. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you'll bake, boil what you'll boil. All that is left over, lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink, and there were no worms. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. So on day six, when they harvested, they harvested twice as much, or, or like a double portion. And for this one day in the week, it carried forward to the next day, and it was good. Uh, from what I've read in my comment commentaries, Prior to this kind of moment in history, uh, in ancient cultures, taking a day off for rest was rare at best, most likely non-existent. No country of that time would have given up a day of economic gain, trusting that their God was just going to, you know, cover things for them while they just sat around. To not work on the seventh day is a very bold faith statement. And it's the statement that God will provide. And economically, this is very uh, counterintuitive. Uh, one of my coworkers at MB Mission, uh, he, he headed up the finance department. And, and he had, I mean, I don't know what letters there are behind your name when you're a finance guy. I think he had most all of them. And, um, but at one point in his career, he was offered a very good job, vice president of finance and accounting or, or something like that. Um, but he was also involved in a church plant. 
and um, loved it and involved in it a lot and, and felt like he needed to continue doing that. But it required a, a day or two of work of his time. So we went back to the company and he said, let's try this. I will work for you four days a week. Pay me 80% of what you offered and let's see how it goes. And if I'm able to get everything done that needs to be done, good. Uh, and if not, you can fire me. Folks, in, in that environment, nobody says that kind of thing. Um, like, remember the crazy people who had like 600 emails a day and slept four hours a night, right? Like, it was that kind of environment. Uh, so for him to make this business offer was a state, faith statement in God that God would provide and that the stuff that needed to get done would get done. So they tried it, and God provided, and he worked there for years uh, before coming over to, to MB Mission. You risk a lot when you are not willing to work seven days. Uh, you risk financially. Uh, if, you're competitive, if, if you're in a competitive market, you risk ranking, you risk status. Uh, but God says, trust me, and on that sixth day, I will do a double portion, and I will provide what needs to happen on day seven. Sabbath is a proclamation of faith in the provision of God. Fourth point, uh, the, the Jewish tradition has some pretty good stuff concerning Sabbath that I'd like to enjoy, uh, just share with you. And, um, you know, and rightfully so, because they've been practicing Sabbath since really like Egypt, so about 400 centuries. So um, one of the, the neat things or interesting things is that within the Jewish tradition, Sabbath is considered a time to celebrate the feminine qualities of God. Uh, and, and how they kind of got to that point is interesting. The, in the Hebrew language, the, the phrase spirit of God, um, the, the, the noun is, is actually a feminine noun. Now, some languages like Spanish, uh, Greek included, uh, German, all nouns get attributed as either like male, female, or like a, a neutral or, or neuter term. Um, I'm still trying to figure out to what extent that's the, the case in, with Hebrew, because really that's kind of more of, of a grammatical thing. But yeah, in, in the Hebrew language, um, it, there, it's a, a feminine noun, and so consequently within Jewish culture has risen this tradition that around Sabbath and around Spirit of God, they're, they're celebrating the, the feminine side of God. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm not telling you this is how it is. I'm just saying, wow, that was kind of interesting. Uh, there you go. There's something interesting for you to ponder. Uh, so anyways, uh, in, in, in Jewish tradition, it's, it's a time to celebrate the feminine side of God. Uh, they also consider Sabbath the time to practice heaven. Uh, that's why, you know, you eat the best foods, right? How many of you in your tradition, right, like you make a roast or like a really nice Sunday meal? Uh, Sabbath is a time to practice heaven, so we eat the best foods. It's a time to wear the best clothes, right? A, a lot of you are dressing pretty sharp. Um, the Sabbath is a time to turn off technology. Uh, it's a time to, to talk about things you don't normally talk about. It's time to do the best things in life. Uh, it's a time to do uplifting things in life. Um, it's actually considered a double blessing to have sex on the Sabbath. So there you go. Um, it's a time to, to celebrate fellowship and gather with family and friends. Uh, a time to pray and a time to play. I think there's good truth in that. Uh, as I look at the whole of Scripture, 
To me, it seems that God wants us to know about heaven, to think about heaven, to be aware of the eternal, to, to live with the eternal insights. God wants us to be thinking about the future, to imagine what heaven will be like, uh, and to exhibit practices here on earth that are countercultural and foretell what heaven will be like. Sabbath is a time to practice heaven. If I were to give this sermon to a different audience, uh, it's very possible that I would have to say, you know, if you're kind of lazy, you should work harder. Um, But with this audience, I don't feel that I have to say that. I don't feel that's the case. With this audience, I feel that I need to say, you're working hard, which is good, but don't you dare sacrifice family or your spiritual life on the altar of work. And it's critical that you take a Sabbath rest once a week. Don't store them up. They are meant to be used weekly. Failure to do so is damaging to you, and it is a sin before God. So Sabbath is a time of rest. Sabbath is a time to remember the things that God has done for you. Uh, Life without Christ is lame. Remember that. Life is good now. Remember that. Uh, Remember the difference. Sabbath is a faith proclamation in the provision of God. From the, er- from the earthly perspective, you take great risk by not working on seven days a week. But God has promised to provide for that seventh day so that you don't have to. And Sabbath is a time to practice for heaven. Fellowship well. Throw good parties. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your spouse. Uh, turn off technology. Do uplifting things. Uh, treat it like Date night with God or something like that. The Sabbath is a gift to us. Honor it and enjoy it. Amen. Heavenly Father, uh, you have given us the Sabbath. Uh, you have even commanded the Sabbath. And, um, and for that, we are grateful. Uh, these are good guidelines that honor you, and they are guidelines that benefit us. Uh, Lord, I know that in my life, uh, I have not done a good job on this. I suspect others have not done a good job either. And uh, so, Lord, we ask for your conviction and correction. And we say that um, we commit to to doing better, to honoring Sabbath, uh, to resting, uh, to remembering, from making a bold statement that, that you provide and a time to practice for what heaven will be like. Thank you, Lord, for how you care for us and how you look out for us, even in things like, hey, you need to take a break once a week. We love you, Lord. Amen. Please stand with us as we respond. Come out of the sadness from wherever you've been. Come broken heart. your mercy. Oh, sinner, come through. Earth has no sorrow when heaven can't be. Earth has no sorrow when heaven can't be. 
us to you. Come as we are. We come with open arms. We accept us. You love us. You give us all that we need. We give you the praise. Yours is next.